want to ask you if you have your copy of God's Word to please open it to the book of 1 Thessalonians once again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now for the next two weeks we're going to be in three verses. Verses 19 through 21 and take our time and unpack them. And as you're turning there, I want to continue to thank you for your prayers for my family and specifically for my daughter Emma. Uh, she's continuing to do well. Uh, still very responsive, nodding yes, shaking her head no, and continuing to rotate her hand over on command. So we're very thankful for those things that we are, are seeing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. And we'll be focusing on 19 this morning. The Apostle Paul writes, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we ask for your help in understanding this passage and your guidance in how to apply it. Father, I pray that our hearts will be open to how you are working in our midst, both in our lives as individual followers of Christ and within this congregation. Father, thank you for the gift of the Spirit. Thank you that Jesus did not leave us alone, but sent us the Helper. Father, it's in the Helper's power that we cry out, asking for your help. In the name of Jesus, amen. The American Sleep Apnea Association estimates that there are 22 million Americans who suffer from some form of sleep apnea. If you're not familiar with sleep apnea, and I know some of you are from firsthand experience, it's a sleep disorder where a person stops breathing periodically as they're sleeping. Now, the long-term effects of sleep apnea are difficult, to say the least. They can cause, sleep apnea can cause high blood pressure, stroke, heart attacks, and it's considered a risk factor for dementia. So, one of the, the best treatments, in fact, the treatment that's usually prescribed by doctors is simply the use of a CPAP machine. It's the most widely used device to treat moderate to severe sleep apnea. Now, a CPAP machine is where the person with sleep apnea, and I'm going somewhere with this, I promise, wears a mask connected to a machine that gives a continuous stream of air allowing that person to breathe continuously while they're sleeping. Now I understand that when you first start using a CPAP machine it feels a little uncomfortable. That, that continuous rush of air makes you feel a little bit like you're, you're suffocating but eventually you get used to it. And here's where I'm going with this. Just as sleep apnea is a dangerous condition because we're not breathing in it's easy for us to develop spirit apnea. That's where we stop relying on the Holy Spirit. Spirit apnea occurs when we feel like we can make it on our own and we, we fail to recognize that God has given us what we need. It's interesting that the word for spirit in both testaments deals with wind or the movement of air. As if for believers we are reminded that the very air we breathe is that of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, there are many reasons that we will not think of or rely on the Holy Spirit. One reason is control. When we truly rely on the Holy Spirit, we recognize that we are in control of very little. And so we recognize that when things are out of our control, it can make us fearful. So sometimes, therefore, we like to, to pull in and just think only in terms of what we can do, what we can accomplish, what we can say. Another reason that we often deny or do not think of the work of the Holy Spirit are because of the excesses that often occur when it comes to the talking of the Spirit. Talking about those things that are sensationalized and often the media picks up on that are things that are outside of what things that the Scripture teaches. For example, in 2009, there was a movement called the Toronto Blessing that claiming that when the Holy Spirit showed up, metal fillings in a person's teeth would be turned to gold. Come Holy Spirit. That's nothing new. Often when you read of great movements of the Holy Spirit, you will read of such excesses. For example, in 1801, there was a revival that broke out on the Cane Ridge community just east of Lexington, Kentucky. It was a mighty move of God. Many, many thousands of people were saved. But there were also things done that would cause a person to question, is that really the Holy Spirit? People began to experience what they called the jerks. One witness described it as when the Spirit moved, their heads would begin to jerk back suddenly, causing them to yelp or make other involuntary noises. Sometimes the head would fly every way so quickly that their features could not be recognized. This person went on to say, I have seen their heads fly back and forward so quickly that the hair of females would be made to crack like a carriage whip, but not very loud, end quote. Such stories cause us to shy away from the Holy Spirit. Plus the fact that there are some denominations that put such emphasis on the charismatic gifts such as speaking in tongues or the gifts of prophecies that it's almost as if there are two different classes of Christians that develop, those who are spirit-filled and those who are not. Despite such things, we dare not deny the work of the Holy Spirit. We must embrace the work of the Holy Spirit because the Christian life is a supernatural life. The Christian life is not one lived on our own power and our own strength. It is one that is empowered and brought about by the Holy Spirit of God. Pastor David Hansen writes about this need to rely on the Holy Spirit. Pastor Hansen says that he lives near a river and there are fish that live in his river and because of that there are birds of prey that will often circle in the air, ospreys, golden eagles and hawks. He says that often he'll sit on his back deck and just watch these birds and he says what he notices is that these birds will spread their wings, their wings this huge lengthy wingspan and they will just float in the air, rarely flapping their wings. But when he sees geese come by, they are flapping and working hard. And what he discovered is this. Those large birds of prey seek out what are called thermals, heated columns of air that come up from the earth. And when these birds find those thermals, this air, unseen air, coming up out of the earth, they simply spread their wings and they will let that thermal carry them. Such is the Spirit in our lives. 
The Spirit lifts us. It gives us vision. It directs us. It gives us power. You and I cannot stay in the air very long apart from the strength of the Holy Spirit. So from these three verses, this week and next week, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. We'll specifically address not quenching the Spirit today and the gift of prophecy. Next week, we'll dive into the necessity of discernment from verse 21. But I want us to start with an overview of the Holy Spirit. And if time runs out on us today, we'll just pick up next week where we live off, leave off. So what does the Spirit do? What's the Spirit about? Well, first is this. We need to recognize that the Holy Spirit, let me get back to it, gives us life. Apart from the Holy Spirit of God, we don't have life. Jesus himself said in John 6, 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. In other words, our works, our abilities, our power cannot contribute one thing to gaining eternal life. He says, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The Bible says that apart from Christ, we are dead in our sins. Now taking that imagery and unpacking it, what that means is this. Can a dead person give themselves CPR? When an EMT is called to a scene where a person has had a heart attack, do they come in and look at the person laying there and say, okay, you know what you need to do. Give yourself CPR. No. That would be absurd. We cannot give ourselves life spiritually. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. We are dependent upon the Holy Spirit for life. And not only does the Holy Spirit give us life, the Holy Spirit empowers us for service. Acts 1.8, Jesus said to the disciples, You will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will receive power. And what happens when we receive that power? We are witnesses unto the Lord Jesus Christ. The power we need to accomplish the mission that God has given us is found in the Holy Spirit. We cannot generate that on our own. We are not wise enough to always know what to say. We don't have enough wisdom to know exactly what to do. It is the Spirit of God that has given us to enable us to do these things. Not only does the Holy Spirit give life and empower us for service, the Holy Spirit purifies us. It is, after all, He is, after all, the Holy Spirit. A mark of the Holy Spirit dwelling in our lives is that He will be pushing us, drawing us to live lives that are pleasing unto the Lord. And when He, and that is the Holy Spirit, comes, He will what? He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit not only, not only purifies by revealing what is amiss in our lives, but the Holy Spirit purifies by creating within us Christ-like character. So while the Holy Spirit is like a doctor who says, this is what is wrong, he is also the doctor who says, this is what you need to do. So as we rely on the Holy Spirit and the Spirit gives us life and empowers us and purifies us, he makes us like Christ. The fruit of the Spirit, in other words, the evidence of the Spirit in our lives is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The sign that we are filled with the Holy Spirit will be the development of these characters in our lives coming out as the Spirit works. The Spirit makes us like Jesus. And the Spirit also will lead us. Oh, I thank God for the promise of Jesus. He's not left us as orphans. He's not left us on our own. He says, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Christians, we should be open in seeking the leadership of the Holy Spirit. For He will guide us, lead us. At times that means waiting. And that's hard. But the Spirit of God works to accomplish the will of God in God's timing. And in doing so, the Holy Spirit also gives us assurance. There'll come a time, maybe even several times in the life of every believer, where we wonder, Lord, am I really a follower of Jesus? Maybe we feel overwhelmed by our sin or by the struggles of life. And the Holy Spirit comes to do what? According to Romans 8, 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit gives us assurance that we are His. The Holy Spirit is, the divine, is divine, fully God, part of the Trinity sent to help us following Jesus and giving us life perhaps the greatest boxer who ever lived was Muhammad Ali often overlooked because of Muhammad Ali's fame was his corner man for two decades Angelo Dundee he was there every fight, every training session Dundee also trained 15 other world boxing champions when asked, what's it like to be a corner man? He said this. When you're working with a fighter, you're a surgeon, you're an engineer, and you're a psychologist. You learn to become a little of whatever that boxer needs. Church, our Lord has sent us the Holy Spirit to be in our corner, to supply what is needed. Therefore, it is to our own detriment that we ignore the Holy Spirit. That's why we need to heed this command in 1 Thessalonians 5. Do not quench the Spirit. Now, quench is a word that's clear. It means to suppress, to, to put out. It's like throwing water on a fire. Now, part of that imagery that Paul is using of quench goes back to the imagery of the Holy Spirit as a fire. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit descended, it said there were tongues as of what? Flames of fire that landed above every person's head. So basically, this verse could be translated, don't throw water on the work of the Spirit. Now, the context of this verse is certainly within the community of faith. And it's very specifically applied, I believe, in verse 20 to the issue of prophecies. In other words, they are a community that's to be open to the Spirit and not quench the Spirit by ignoring any prophetic word that may occur. Now, this is not the only time that quenching of the Spirit is dealt with by the Apostle Paul. 
There are other places where he deals with this with the church, telling them not to quench or stop the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, he doesn't use the same words, but in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, there is the same idea given to the church at Ephesus. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of, rev- of redemption. Now, 1 Thessalonians deals with the issue of prophecies, which we'll get back to in a moment. But I wanted to follow this thread of not quenching or grieving the Holy Spirit. Now, Ephesians, I believe, is dealing with the same thing. He's speaking to a congregation saying, don't hinder the work of the Spirit. So what hinders the work of the Spirit? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Two things that are mentioned. Verse chapter, I'm sorry, Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Now, notice what's missing between those two verses. Verse 30, which says what? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, going back to looking at those two verses... I believe now we begin to see what grieves the Holy Spirit. Corrupting talk. Things that that tear down. Things that don't give grace to one another. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. To me the implication is these are the things that grieve the Spirit. Because notice, each of these are relational. It's also very important to see what is written in verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So if anger and malice and corrupting talk and not giving grace to one another grieves the Spirit, what would cause the Spirit to work abundantly? Being kind, forgiving. And the interesting thing is you start to see this circle develop because what empowers us to be kind and tenderhearted and forgiving? Is it not the Spirit of God Himself? So as the Spirit of God works within us to be kind to one another, tenderhearted and forgiving, the Spirit continues to blossom in His work. And this makes sense why the Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity One in eternal relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit. And He wants us to share in that relationally. So we want the Spirit to be pleased and to thrive in our midst. So that means we shouldn't quench the Spirit's work, not only in these areas, but also according to what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5. So if quenching the Spirit in 1 Thessalonians 5 is connected to to prophecy, it begs the question, What is meant by prophecy? Now I confess to you very candidly, it is very difficult to define exactly what prophecy means. We do know that the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul said, You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The foundation, that is the foundation laid by the apostles and the prophets, which refers to the preaching and the proclamation of the gospel in the Old Testament as well as in the New. 
And to me, this is referencing apostles and prophets as a unique class who laid the foundation of the church as recognized in the Scripture. You see this idea also in First Peter, I'm sorry, Second Peter 1, 21. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now this is a reference to the inspiration of the Scripture. In these contexts, we see that the prophetic words are unique, inerrant, and unrepeatable. That is, no person can ever stand and claim to speak of a new revelation from God that is to be added to the Scripture. Nor could a person say, I've been given revelation from God that part of the Scripture is to be removed. Jude said, we have been given the faith once and for all. It has been delivered. Now, while we recognize a unique status of prophecy in terms of Scripture and the giving of the Bible, there are also aspects of prophecy that still continue today. Not new revelations from God, but speaking as led by the Spirit that seeks to give life within a congregation and among one another. So I would say prophecy is a spontaneous prompting of the Spirit given to some to speak and apply the words of Scripture to the life of another. For example, prophecy includes giving encouragement and exhortation. Now, we'll be referencing, if not today, next Sunday, 1 Corinthians 14 quite a bit. In that passage, Paul is dealing with the gift of tongues that the Corinthian church had become enamored with. And Paul is saying to them, I would rather you speak five words of prophecy that are clearly understood rather than 5,000 words that are not understood. But notice what he said. The other hand, the one who speaks prophecies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So I believe it is that spontaneous move of God that leads us to speak life into others in applying the scripture it can be a gift and I believe it is a gift that God gives some to see exactly what a person needs to hear from the word at the right time something you can't explain you can't can't necessarily quantify you can't put it down in a nice and neat formula it is the prompting of the spirit and also by the way this work of the spirit in prophecy may also include evangelism once again, in chapter 14, he says, But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever outside enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. He says, As we're speaking this to one another, a person may be convicted by the Spirit and come to faith. Now, typically when we think of prophecy, we think of things about the future. I don't want to put God in a box, and I recognize that those things could happen. For example, in Acts chapter 21, verse 11, a prophet by the name of Agabus is among the church. And coming to us, Agabus, that is, took Paul's belt, and he bound his own feet in his hands. So he, he wraps the belt around his feet in his hands, and he says, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. A word telling what's going to happen in Paul's future. Now the interesting thing is that as this is spoken, there's disagreement on how to apply it. 
Some of the elders at the church start imploring Paul, don't go, don't go. And Paul says, well, the the Spirit has prompted me to go. I must go to Jerusalem. So the issue is never what Agabus said. It's the application of it. That's where we must be cautious and rely on the Holy Spirit. But also there is this. If one claims to speak and make a proclamation about the future, you need to heed this warning in Deuteronomy. If you say in your heart, how may we know that the word that the Lord that the word that the Lord has not spoken. How do we know if a, a prophetic word is true? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So we recognize that the Holy Spirit works in our midst. And he will work in ways that do not seek to bring glory to his own name but to the name of the Lord Jesus. So let's be open to the Spirit's work among us, to what the Spirit may be doing through us and receiving what the Spirit may be doing among us. I want to ask you, if you will, to bow your heads right now. I know in many ways it's an awkward place to begin, but time has has moved on very quickly. So I guess this morning I would ask you, Are you living your life in dependency upon the Holy Spirit? You say, well, how how do I know that? In some ways, it's the Spirit Himself that will be reminding you. Don't rely on your own self. Don't rely on your own power. Trust me, wait. A verse that I read and claim frequently is from Zechariah 6 4 it's not by might nor by power but by my spirit says the Lord Father I pray that we will learn to rely on your spirit while you work through a variety of methods and means and different ways Lord we know that it's all supernaturally empowered and that's what we need Father that is what we need have your way among us O Lord in Jesus' name Amen.